man, I love that song. And I love that you love that song. You know, I was thinking about this when we were singing. What's crazy about that is when, when Jesus said that he was the I am, they tried to kill him for it. And now we're sitting here in Elkhart, Indiana, praising the name of I am, raising the roof, and shaking this whole building with the name of I am. And that's, that's the power of the gospel as it's proclaimed. And I am pumped about that, all right? Well, good morning. Whew. I had to be careful singing down here. Phil, Phil was singing next to me, and I always try to, you know, match his. I just can't do it. I'm going to tear something. Hey, why don't, you, uh, why don't you get your Bibles out, or if you have a device, and turn to Romans chapter 8. We are finishing up our Unshaken series today, and before we get started, I just want to say what a privilege it has been uh, to open the Word with you guys. Thanks for your receptive hearts and uh, your response to what God's Word has said to us, and I hope that you guys have been encouraged through it all, and we're going to wrap it up today, and I hope not only today that you leave encouraged, but you, you leave you leave excited and emboldened and equipped to do something about the confidence I have. And so uh, we've been talking in this Unshaken series, answering the question, what is unshakable confidence and how do we get it? And so as we wrap up the series today, we have one more question to ask, and that question is why? Why are we given unshakable confidence? And we've been looking through Romans 8, and Paul has been building up to this point, this hope-filled conclusion to end chapter eight, but what is the point? And are we supposed to just have confidence for confidence' sake? Are we supposed to do something with it? And I understand that at least part of it and a big part of it is so that when we face un unknown times, when we face the great shaking that's happening in our world, we can walk with confidence, but I think it's, it's more than that. Uh, one of my favorite pastimes is watching military movies and reading military books, okay? And I'm especially fascinated with the Navy SEALs. And my favorite book uh, is Lone Survivor. And I know they have a movie out, but if you get a chance to read the book, Lone Survivor, it's, it's amazing. And what uh, Marcus Luttrell does in that book is he goes into great detail describing the training that Navy SEALs go through to become a Navy SEAL. And it, I have to tell you this. It's pretty brutal. I think some of you may have, maybe have seen a movie or have read stuff about it, uh, but they basically take you for a whole week. They give you no sleep. They do give you food, but you're in the cold the whole time. You don't get to change out of your wet clothes. You're in the sand. You're in the freezing water, and you're doing intense physical exercise over and over and over and over again. And as you listen to it and as you read it, it almost seems like it's overkill. Like, why in the world would you put any human being through this? But there's an old Navy SEAL quote that helps us understand. It says this, under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. That's why we train so hard. There's a purpose to what they have those men go through. In the most dire of circumstances, they can perform their duty over and over again without fear or hesitation. And training produces confidence. But confidence is meant to produce effectiveness. And it's that purpose that we're given our unshakable confidence. It's so that we can do something with it. Part of the purpose, again, is certainly to walk through the difficulty of life and to keep our eyes on the things that are to come and our, our future hope that we talked about last week. But your confidence is given to you for another reason. All of God's good gifts are meant to be shared. 
and unshakable confidence is no exception. So here's what I wanna chase with you today. This is core belief that we've been looking at, number four. We are given unshakable confidence in order to influence our world with the gospel. Paul has been marching towards this idea since he started the book of Romans, and we finally see it here in Romans 8 and the beginning of Romans 9, but there's this weird shift in tone that takes place between chapter 8 and chapter 9, and I I really think it's important that you see it, so I want to read it for you. Starting in chapter 8, verse 37, it says this. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, chapter 9, verse 1. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the the flesh. So there's a shift in in Paul's tones that, that almost seems out of the blue. But Paul is keying into a tension we must all feel if our confidence is going to produce effectiveness. It's a tension between unshakable confidence and unwavering burden. Paul has a deep, agonizing burden for his fellow Jews, that they might come to know Christ as the Messiah. He has all the confidence in the world and the love of God that produces that confidence, but he also desperately desires for the lost to know that confidence also. What I wanna look at with the rest of our time this morning is the commitment of people that live in that tension, the tension between un unshakable confidence and unwavering burden. The commitments of people that understand their purpose to influence the world with the gospel of, the tr- of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is, this is the type of church that FBC wants to be. In fact, this is our mission. This is our mission statement. I know Phil reads it for you often, but I want to read it for you. First Baptist Church of Elkhart exists to glorify God by equipping the believers to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if, we're, if we are serious about that mission, we will also be committed to the things that Paul is committed to in Romans. So let's look at the first one. Commitment number one, a renewed understanding of the gospel. A renewed understanding of the gospel. It seems pretty straightforward that if we want to influence our world with the gospel, we actually have to know it. And I mean, know it well enough that we can communicate it clearly to other people. So how well do you know it? If I were to come down off this podium with a microphone, per se, and say, hey, tell me the gospel, how many of you would get really, really sweaty? How many of you would, with confidence, say, yeah, I could, I could do that? I think there, there's, a, there's a mix of both of us in here, right? Some of you might have the confidence to do it and still get really sweaty, We should be, if this is the greatest truth we have, if this is life-changing, life-giving truth, then it pays to know it really, really, really well and to be able to share it with other people. And for the first eight chapters of Romans, Paul has been laying out the amazing truth of the gospel and it does us well to rehearse it. And I, I wanna just rehearse some of these things with you. 
Paul introduces the gospel right away in chapter one, verse 16. He says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the power of the gospel will dictate the flow of the rest of the book. And first Paul shows his readers that the gospel is and then how it fleshes out in life. And understanding the gospel has to start with an understanding of who God is. And Paul does that with the rest of chapter one. He introduces us to the God, the righteous creator. Look at verse 18 on the screen with me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Man, don't we see a lot of that happening right now. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And so Paul is saying here, if you just look outside, we had a beautiful morning this morning. You look outside and creation screams that there is a creator God and that he is in control of this universe. And it says that because of that, we call that general revelation, by the way, because of that, man is without excuse. Meaning he, he stands before God because of God's holiness and his goodness. Condemned. As creator, God has every right to determine how we should live. It's just like a potter or a craftsman gets to decide how their handiwork is used. So God, too, gets to decide how his creation should operate. And because God is creator, he's also the judge and the perfect holy judge. And this is why sin is so much more than a mistake. When we talk about sin, it's not just some trite thing that happens once in a while. It's outright rebellion against the God of the universe, the ruler, the creator of the universe. When you sin, you're breaking his standard of holiness, the thing that he says operates and governs our world. In the rest of chapter one, Paul describes how man did not recognize or does not recognize God as most glorious. He did not recognize him as being worthy of honor and glory and obedience. And instead, we chose to worship the creature rather than the creator, meaning we choose and still choose to worship ourselves. At the, at the base level, that's what sin is, deciding for ourselves what is good, what is right, and what path that we should follow. And, and Paul says that because of that, we stand condemned and we are without excuse. And this has been happening since the garden. When Adam and Eve first chose to believe a lie instead of the truth and ate that fruit that God had forbidden, and ever since, mankind has been utterly sinful. And Paul later in Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, because of our rebellion, God would have been perfectly just in killing every single one of us. Because the wages of sin is death. And every single person, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us deserve death. There's not a single person alive right now that doesn't deserve death. And thanks be to God, he doesn't give us what we deserve, but offers us a way out. And praise be to God that this is not the end of the story. 
In Romans 6, 23, Paul says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, amen? amen. We have the offer of salvation before us. Salvation is a gift, meaning that no one can do anything to earn it. Even on your best days, you don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's grace. We still deserve death. But he offers the free gift of salvation. The fact that it's a gift also means it has to be accepted. It has to be opened. Can you imagine receiving gifts on Christmas and not opening them? Even a kid, like from a very, from a very early age, you get a gift, you're supposed to open it. How many of you, do any of you have the weird families like they protect the, protect the wrapping paper and stuff? <laughs> My wife's family is like that. Not me, man, I just tear into it. And we don't save wrapping paper in my house. That stuff goes in the garbage and we're getting after it. It's the same thing. Like when we're offered a gift, open it, open it. And God has offered us all the free gift of salvation. And I'm so thankful that at a young age, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the fact that I needed to accept that gift and walk in it. Paul tells us later in chapter three that the gift has to be accepted by faith. Chapter three, verse 21 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And Jesus has taken the penalty of our sin so that we might be able again to live with and for our holy God. It's the only way that we can dwell in his presence. Sin has, sin has created a shadow and has marred all of creation and has darkened our own hearts so that we can't dwell in the presence of a holy God. God can't stand sin. And so the only way that we can have a relationship with him and continue to dwell with the God who we were, we were created to dwell with, by the way, was to send Jesus in human form, perfect, and sacrifice him on the cross. And when we place our faith in that sacrifice, we not only get salvation, but we get Christ's righteousness. He takes our sin, we get his righteousness. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today. The gift of salvation is offered to us, and this is the gospel. This is the message of salvation and transformation we have to be committed to. That Jesus really did come and live a perfect and sinless life, that he really did die on the cross, and he really did rise again from the grave, and that I really do believe by faith that his sacrifice was enough to pay for my sins and the sins of the whole world. That's the gospel we have to be committed to. It's transformative. We have to be committed to it if we want to influence our world with the Jesus Christ, influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But can we be real for a minute? 
that's a lot to remember, right? Sometimes it's hard. I, I am, I'm actually an introvert naturally. And so like talking to people one-on-one can be difficult. And yet, anybody else in here? Like scared to death of talking to people one-on-one? It can be difficult, but God calls us to it anyways. And you know what I'm really thankful for is we don't, we don't have to like make it up. We have been given tools. We've been, we've been given the, the scriptures in order to, to present the gospel to other people. And if you aren't taking advantage of one of these, these are the Revive Bibles. I know our church has changed a ton in the last five years, so some of you don't even know what these are. It's okay, we're gonna get there at the end. But there's a tool for you, if you're like me and you kind of get lost along the way, that walks you through it. But you gotta be committed to the gospel There are things that we can do to help. There are things that we can do to train you and equip you to do it. But you have to have the commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to know it as best you can and to share it with other people because it is the power of God unto salvation. You know that there's nothing else in all of creation that God says that about. It is the power of God unto salvation. And we as the people of God have to be committed to using it, and to knowing it. So our first commitment is to a renewed understanding of the gospel. Our second commitment is what we've been talking about for the last four weeks is unshakable confidence in the gospel. We've been talking about this for the last three weeks, and so I'm not gonna unpack it again. That's what previous sermon recordings are for, by the way. If you haven't been here and you have no idea what I'm talking about, there's this great thing called the internet. And you can look them up on YouTube or whatever service we use. Sorry, Joshua. But Paul, we, we have to have this confidence if we want to influence our world with the power of Jesus Christ. But I do want to point out one thing, that Paul maintains this confidence in the gospel by rehearsing the gospel. So that confidence not only comes from the gospel, but it comes as we rehearse it. And we, sometimes we fall into the temptation that thinking the gospel is just for unbelievers. But nothing could be further from the truth. If you've been a, if you've been a believer for 50 years, you still need the gospel today. And so do I. And so Paul rehearses it to himself. He says in 1 Corinthians, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So the gospel is relevant and vital for every aspect of a believer's life. It's not just for conversion. We're supposed to rehearse it to ourselves daily. Um, Milton Vincent is the author of my favorite book, A Gospel Primer, and I, I think I've shared this quote with you before, but I wanna share it with you again says, the gospel is so foolish according to my natural wisdom, so scandalous according to my conscience, and so incredible according to my timid heart that it is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it as I should. There is simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemnings of my heart, and the lies of the world and the devil than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel." It's when we rehearse the gospel to ourselves daily that we can have unshakable confidence and say with Paul, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. We have to rehearse it and preach it to ourselves. If, if you're expecting to live in this confidence only hearing the gospel on Sunday mornings, you are gonna be wildly disappointed because this, this world is a messy, messy place. So Paul's laid out the gospel. We've, we've seen God in his holiness. We've seen man in his sinfulness. We have seen Christ in his perfection take our place on the cross. And we've seen the blessings that only come through Jesus Christ. And the joy and the confidence is a fitting response. But you have to imagine that as Paul finishes this section, he takes a pause. And he reflects on the glory of salvation to be sure. And for that, he's overjoyed and confident. But he also can't help but thinking about all his brothers and sisters who have not tasted that joy. And that brings us to our third commitment. If we're gonna influence the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to have unwavering burden for the lost. An unwavering burden. Listen again to Paul's statement here at the beginning of chapter nine. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul is so burdened for his fellow Jews to know Christ that he's willing to be accursed so that they can know him. Most of us aren't passionate, that passionate about anything, let alone unbelievers. But does the lostness of our world break your heart? Sometimes we get so callous to it, and sometimes, honestly, if I'm honest with myself, we get so angry with how lost our world is that the furthest thing from our mind is that these people don't know Jesus. We forget that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Those people are prisoners of war. And they need our help. They need the life-changing, life-altering power of the gospel in their lives. The Greek word that Paul uses here, cursed, is, is anathema. In the Old Testament, someone who was excommunicated or cast outside the camp. And the New Testament refers to a person who is under the sentence of damnation. Paul has such a burden for the loss that he's willing to give up all the blessings of salvation he just got done talking about in order that they might come to know Christ. If we had half of that passion, it would change the world in a heartbeat. There's 500 plus people in this room. Can you imagine if every single one of us went out of this room with a passion for the lost and a burden to see them come to know Jesus and not caring if they, if they just ignored us, not caring if they said no, not caring if they... they just cast us aside. And we just kept going. We kept going because it's the power of God unto salvation that we hold in our hands and that they need desperately. Can you imagine how different our church would be? How much our week would change? Maybe if the reason you went to school was so that people would know Christ. If the reason you lived, if the reason you went to work and maybe even the reason you died was so that other people could know Jesus Christ. Do we really believe that this is what life is about or is it just a part of life? It's good for us, but I don't wanna uproot my life and share it with other people. 
We have to have unwavering burden for the lost. We have to have that tension between chapter 8 and chapter 9 to be overflowing with joy about what God has done for us and overflowing in confidence in what he has done for us, but then just in agony over the people who don't know him yet. And I know if, if you're anything like me, when you hear this, you have, a, you have a picture of a person in your mind that needs to know Jesus. And it breaks your heart that they're, they're not in his family yet. That should, that should be the motivating factor of our lives. They're still lost in their sin. They don't understand the power of the gospel. They don't get it and they're blind. And they're, right now they're walking towards a Christless eternity in hell. They haven't received the free gift of salvation. Maybe they, they haven't even heard about it yet. And maybe you're, you're kind of waiting for somebody else to tell them about it because you're not, you're not a people person or you're, you're not comfortable sharing that in front of, in front of other people. But this, this thought should cross your mind. What if you're the only Christian they ever talk to? What if you're the only picture of Jesus they ever get to interact with? What if, what if you're it? We have, we have a desperate calling on our lives to be about more than just Sunday mornings and maybe Sunday evenings. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're called to the ministry of reconciliation and we're called to share the gospel. Every single one of us. Now, I'm not saying all of you are gonna be missionaries. I know that's not the case. But you've all been given a gift and that gift is not supposed to stop with you. You're supposed to pass it on. And if the Spirit lives in us, the fact that there are people who don't know Jesus yet should fill us with sorrow and motivate us like nothing else. It should motivate us for our final commitment too. Commitment number four, gospel-centric living. So in, after Romans 9, 1 through 3, Paul spends three chapters talking specifically about the Jews and their future place in regards to the gospel. And we believe that Paul demonstrates that God has been and always will be faithful to the promises he made to his people Israel. And so chapters 9 through 11 are really about that. But then he comes to chapter 12. And he begins to talk about how this gospel, this transformative work of Jesus in our lives should affect everything in our lives. This is an aspect of the free gift of salvation that we don't understand a lot of times because it's, it's a little culturally different than we usually think about. In Jewish culture, there was an expectation that when a gift was given, another would be given in return. Not as a way to earn that gift, but as a way to say thank you. And when we accept the gift of salvation, our gift of thanks back is our very lives. It's what we give in return for the life that Christ gave for us. And the power of the gospel is indeed for salvation, but it's also the power of a transformed life. Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing of you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that phrase spiritual worship can also be translated rational service or reasonable act of worship. 
in light of everything that God has done for you, it's reasonable for you to give him your very life. I wanna flesh this out for you a little bit because we get in this, we get in this habit of compartmentalizing our lives, right? So we have, we have kind of the job compartment. Maybe you have a school compartment. Uh, maybe you have a family compartment. You have friends, hobbies, maybe community, and maybe even you have a church one. What we're tempted to do a lot of times, and I, I don't know if this is just an American thing, it seems like we do this a lot as Americans, but we, we tend to want to make Christianity one of these compartments, right? We just add it to the list, okay? So family's a great thing, job's a great thing, church is a great thing, school's a great thing, friends are good, hobbies are good, community's good, and so we just kind of throw Christianity in the mix with it, Right? It's something we, fun we can do. It makes me feel good about myself. I go to church on Sunday and I, I get filled up. I get a, a, a message of hope and that's relevant to my life and I feel better and I walk out and then I go back to my other compartments. But what Paul is saying in chapter 12, verses one and two is that your reasonable act of service is not just a compartment of your life. It is your life. You are a Christian. Christ isn't supposed to be just some, some little aspect that we, we pick up on Sunday mornings when we go to church or we pick up when we go to our life group or we pick up when uh, we bring our kids to church on Sunday nights. It's supposed to be your life. And I'm not saying you're supposed to be a pastor or you're supposed to be a missionary, but God has redeemed you for a reason where you are at. And he's given you the hope of the gospel, not just so it stops with you, but so that it can go through you out to other people. So I don't care where you work, where you minister, where you find yourself on a regular basis. Christ is supposed to be your life, not just one little portion of it. It's a reasonable act of service. Jesus gave his life for you and for me. The only reasonable act of service is to give our life back to him. And that's what following Christ really means. When Christ calls us to, to take up our cross and follow him, we're, we're actually following him to our own death, the death of everything that we wanted, the death of everything that we call our will or the, the desires of our heart. We put those things to death and we, we follow him with all of it. And what's amazing is that when we follow him with everything that we are, he gives us some of those things back. But not, not just for our sake, but for the use of the kingdom. So Paul spends a lot of time in the end of his letter showing the Romans how this works out. We have to ask ourselves a question, how should being a Christian impact my work? How should being a Christian impact my school, my family? my friends, my hobbies, my finances, my free time, my community involvement, my church involvement. Your reasonable act of service isn't just for an hour or two on Sunday. It's your entire life. So how does the gospel impact every single one of those areas? And if we're honest, I think sometimes we're afraid to ask that question because we, have, we might have something over here. Maybe it's your job, your job or your relationship you really like. And you don't really want to see how Christ might impact that. 
because he might flip it upside down. He might call you to something drastic or radical. He might call you to something. He is calling you to something better. So ask the question, how does Christ impact these areas of life? And when we do this, something beautiful happens in our lives. We live our lives, our transformed lives with unshakable confidence in a world that is falling apart and our lives become the very vehicle for the gospel to influence our world with Jesus Christ. So you're working in the RV industry and you're following Christ with all you are, your life and your job become a vehicle for you to bring the gospel to other people. It's not, we're not missing out on something. We're, we're, we're joining in the greatest, the greatest passion, the greatest mission, the greatest job or responsibility of all time. But we have to be committed. We have to be committed to understanding the gospel. We have to be committed to unshakable confidence. We have to be committed to a burden for the lost. And we have to be committed to gospel-centric living. And when we started this series with the purpose of standing unshaken in a world that's falling apart all around us, the truth is the world is falling apart all around us because they're in desperate need of Jesus. And I understand we see some things that make us angry and we see some, we see some truly evil things, but it's because this world is lost. It's in darkness It needs the light of Christ. It needs the light of the world. And the reason we can stand unshaken is that that everything they need most in all the world is what we have. We can walk unshaken because we have exactly what they need. We don't need to be scared of what's going on. We don't need to live in fear of of what might happen next. But we, We have the power of the gospel unto salvation. We have it. And nobody can, can take that away from us. And so as we stand unshaken, it's, it's for a reason. We are not given unshakable confidence so we can stand together in a corner somewhere and avoid the hardship. That's not the point. God has given us confidence in Christ to walk into the chaos on a rescue mission. And as we close today, I want to do so with a challenge, okay? Actually, two of them. First, there's a lot of people in here. And for some, this this may be the very first time you've actually heard the whole truth of the gospel. I don't know how you came in here. I don't know why you came in here, but maybe there's someone here today that for the very first time they understood what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. My challenge to you today is accept the gift. Unwrap it. And if you need help doing that, I would love more than anything to walk you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So would the other pastors, so would our prayer team. Unwrap the gift. But for those of you that are believers, I want to challenge you with something very practical. A very practical commitment that you can walk out of here today. If you're serious about living a transformed life and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ... I want you to come up here today after the service and grab one of these Bibles and one of these wristbands with this commitment in mind that you're going to share this with one person in the month of May, okay? That's it, one person, right? 
And, and just so you're aware, this, this, these Revive Bibles, if you haven't been around a while, this is our, our chosen method here at FBC for evangelism, for sharing, for sharing the gospel with other people. And this isn't supposed to be something like you go to your hairstylist and go, here you go, here's a Bible, and then leave. That's not the idea. This doesn't, it's not like a track, okay? You're supposed to walk through this with them. And one of the ways that they, they show, they teach us to do this, and by the way, there's a website you can go to, I think we have a slide about it, uh, that gives us training to use these. But what they simply do is you go up to people to ask them how you can pray for them, and then pray with them. And then say, hey, can I ask you one more thing? And then start walking them through this, okay? So if, if you're serious about being committed to the gospel and serious about taking this step of obedience, I want you to come up here today and commit to sharing this Bible and a wristband with one person this month. Here's, here's what you might be tempted to do because everybody else is gonna be coming forward. You come forward and you grab this and then it sits in your car for six months. Don't do that, okay? This is the power of the gospel unto salvation. It shouldn't sit in your car and collect dust. Use it. So my challenge to you is come up here and grab at least one. Uh, I, I know some of you are ambitious, and whenever you see free things, you're like, I'm gonna grab 10 of those. <laughs> Please refrain from grabbing 10. Two, okay, fine. But if you're committed to going out in the darkness and sharing the glorious truth of the gospel, I want you to come forward after we're done praying and take one, and then go give it to somebody else. Put your money where your mouth is. Don't just hear truth. Believe it and do something about it. God has called us and equipped us to live unshaken. But it, it's our responsibility to take the steps in turning that confidence into effectiveness for his kingdom. And one of those first steps is can, can be to grab one of these today. If you need to know Christ and you don't, you've never heard the truth of the gospel or you don't know what's next in your walk with Jesus, please come talk to me or one of our prayer team members and we would love to point you in the right direction. Why don't you stand with me and I'll close this in prayer. Father God, you have called us to an extraordinary adventure. You've called us to be, be a part of what you're doing for your kingdom in this world. And, and honestly, sometimes, Father, we're scared to do it. And so, God, as we've talked these last three weeks about unshakable confidence, God, I pray that you would fill me, that you would fill these people with the unshakable truth and knowledge of salvation that has come to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would walk in confidence, not just for confidence sake, but the, that the world through us might see you and might come to know your son, Jesus, as savior. And so help us this week as we commit anew to a radical pursuit and burden for the loss. And God, I pray that you would give us favor. God, and I imagine 500 people talking to one person, how much that would change our, our church, how much it would change our city, how much it would change our world if we were just committed to it. And God, I, so I pray, God, that you would give us a radical commitment to that practical application of this, God. Give us favor with people, give us boldness, give us confidence, and we'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.